Welcome to this week in sparkling water. Welcome to this week in sparkling water. Welcome to this week in sparkling water. Welcome to this week in sparkling. Welcome to. Welcome to. Welcome to. Welcome to. Welcome to. Okay, that's that's enough. That's enough annoying. That's oh god. I was gonna say that's enough annoying bullshit for one episode, but. It's not like I have something after that that's, like, not annoying bullshit. <laughs> oh, God. I set myself up for that one. Okay, really, though, we should just change category of annoying bullshit. So here's a thing I thought about maybe uh, unpacking with myself a little bit. I was in a sort of nostalgic... I, I was reminiscing a little bit this week because I, I was... Um, I had a job applicant, and he had been in Seattle a lot. And so we were talking about Seattle, and he'd worked for the same place for 12 years, Fairmont Hotel, downtown Seattle. And that's a good-ass sign, though. If your resume is that you you got a job somewhere, and then you just kept getting promoted, and you just stayed for 12 years. That's a green flag. Um but I was feeling self-conscious because I'd never been there. I'd never been to the hotel. But then we connected over this thing. I was feeling vulnerable about not having been there. And then we connected over this thing of like, dude, when you're in Seattle, man, you don't go anywhere. Like you have a neighborhood and whatever neighborhood you're in, everything is probably in your neighborhood and the neighboring neighborhood. Like you have like two go-to neighborhoods. Maybe you live in one and you commute to the other one. And all the food, all the entertainment, all the stuff you do is in both of those. And then like once every six months, you like venture out and there's like a big thing that you want to attend somewhere and you leave your neighborhood. And it's like he, oh God, I don't know why I was feeling so, I was feeling, I guess it's about a bunch of stuff of like, for a lot of my time in Seattle, I was like, in this very bad marriage that was really about we never left the house and I just smoked a bunch of weed to try to like survive or to try to not feel anything. And that means that you'd never do anything. You just go to a terror. I had like bad, I, for a long time I had a bad job there, just a bad restaurant job. And then I never did anything. And I feel very sensitive about that, about how much of myself I wasted in that apartment. Like, that's a very, like, dark, sensitive topic to me. And so when I acknowledged that I'd never been to his hotel, I was very vulnerable. And then he, like, was like, oh, no, 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 yeah, I never went anywhere. And I was just like this sigh of relief when he said that. But then we started talking about different stuff and how he had only worked in one place, but I worked in like seven different places. And we got to these weird situations where like, I was trying to remember the names of all the places and I was struggling. And there was even one where he, um, he remembered the name of the place where I worked. Like I was like, yeah, I used to work at this one place in Ballard when I was living in Ballard and I couldn't remember the name. And I was saying like, oh yeah, you know, it was like a French bistro kind of deal, big wine selection, rooftop garden. And he's like, oh, you worked at Bastille. And I was like, yeah, it was called Bastille. And there was something there where it's like, it's because I was such a different person there, because I was such a different person, all those memories 
are connected to like a different rememberer than the person I am now. It's very weird. It's like, it's almost like memories from when you were two years old. Like there's something about all the memories we make when we're like two and four years old. It's not that they're unrememberable to us as adults. It's more like they're not really compatible with our brains anymore because it's like an old, it's like, it's like a video game cassette from like a Nintendo entertainment system. And now you're trying to plug that into a Nintendo Switch. And it's like, it really feels like there's some backward compatibility problem there that is related to that stupid Wittgenstein thing that he says about like, even if a label, uh, even if a lion could speak, we couldn't speak to it. Which like, I think is such an interesting paradoxical thing to just keep thinking about. Because I think you can really think about it. You can really think about what would it feel like if my entire body, if it wasn't fingers, if I had like a paw with like these sort of like nubby little thummy fucking toe fingers and I had fur all over the place and I was itchy but I wasn't itching all the time. And it's like, I'm strong, kind of, and I have, like, big teeth and a big mouth, and my whole body kind of feels like that, and my movement, like, you can really, <laughs> it's, like, it's kind of a stupid man's game, but I, I do think that you can think about it. But I think that there's something about being, like, 12 months old and making memories, and then trying to recall those memories with a grown-up brain. There's something about, like, everything about that was a different animal. Like you were just straight up a different animal at that point. And that's why you why you struggle to remember it maybe. And I think there's a comparable thing to how when I first moved to America, and I really recommend this to everyone, and I really wonder if I will ever be able to really describe it. But like moving to a new country in like your late 20s when you're pretty darn grown up, like I was like 28 years old or something. And I had, like, established certain things for myself. And then moving to a new country, and it's it depends on what kind of country you're moving to. You have to move to a country that's, like, like, as an American, I really recommend, try moving to, like, France when you're in your late 20s. Because France, it's... It, it it gives you a similar experience to what I had, where it's like, it's a country that's like inviting if you decide to learn everything about their culture. And it's a, it's a culture that thinks very highly of itself. And you need those sort of traits for it to be, for, for there to be immersion, like for, for real immersion to be able to happen. Because there's something about like, like when I moved to China, it's just different because... Chinese culture doesn't actually think very highly of itself. China actually has a big inferiority complex where like foreigners aren't really invited in fully. And you can try, and I tried, and then it, there's a certain feeling to trying and failing. But there's something else when you get to a country and the, there's an actual open road in front of you. Like you move to America and there's an actual open road in front of you and it's like a very, oh God, super, super pretentious, but there's this Chinese word I really like, kanke. Is that the tones? MDBG, let me just look up this word. It's like a bumpy road. It just means bumpy road, but I just 
think it's such a it's such a okay no hits bumpy road rough life is what it means to be down on one's luck to be full of frustrations and dashed hopes yeah i don't know i just think it's a it just means bumpy road but i just think it's a beautiful word um anyway the point is that like when i moved to america i just felt like i completely lost my bearings and there's this very specific i really struggled to explain this okay I think it has something to do with expectation when people look at you. Because there's something about America when you go to America, people just expect a lot from you. They expect you to learn the con cult, uh, language. They expect you to learn the culture and how things are done. And that expectation makes everything harder. But it's also true that once you've figured it out, you're actually allowed in. And it's very interesting to compare to China because there's a much lower expectation. They see a white person and they don't expect you to have the language figured out at all and don't expect you to have the culture figured out at all. So when you just figure out a tiny bit, they're so impressed immediately. But if you really scratch the surface of that and unpack that a little bit, you realize that one is actually more respectful than the other. The... American expectation is actually, you could actually think of it as very respectful because it's like, it's a, it, it means that you're being taken seriously. In a way, everyone in America is actually being taken seriously because we're all expected to like figure shit out and work really hard. Whereas in, there's an infantilization. Oh God. There's certain words that I used to be able to say that I can't. You're being infantilized. In China, you're being infantilized. There are many cultures that will, they, they, their, their own inferiority complex makes them infantilize everyone else. And it's, a, it's kind of an all-around bad situation. But so what, what happens then is like, when I first came to America, there were these expectations for me to understand stuff, and I just had the language figured out. That was it. I didn't have anything else figured out. And I didn't know how to drive a car. I didn't know like how money in America worked. Everything was kind of backwards. I remember how it took me so long to get over my resentment over credit cards. And I just felt so confused that credit cards are such an integral part of American society. And and I look I the, the frustration made me do this big deep dive where I picked, like I uh, looked into like credit scores and what makes a good credit score. And the more you learn about it, the more confusing it is. Like you have to, you have to, the, the best way to get a good credit score is to be a teenager, get lots of credit cards, let them all, use them all a little bit and then let them all get old in the sense that the, your credit lines, your average and your oldest credit line, bo both should be like have some years on them so that you prove that you have a credit history and you should have many. So there's like a contradiction of how you should get more, but the more you get, the younger your cards are. And the craziest thing really is that all the different credit rating bureaus, all the three or four major credit scores, they all measure... Uh, how many credit cards do you have? How many lines of credit do you have? And more is better. And more, more, more is better, better, better. Up to, and it caps out at 20. 
So it's better to have 20 credit cards than having 15 credit cards. And it's like, <laughs> I'm like just arrived. <laughs> fucking Swede. Fucking Swede on the internet just, just arrived reading about this. So confused. So angry. Like so, I was so pissed off. My first year and a half in America, I was just like just pissed off the whole time. Because I'm like trying to, it, it's too much like, um, it's too much like things were just put together by some fucking weird motherfucker. Or no, oh, it sounds like there's a car accident happening, but no, it's just someone, it's just a couple of people laying on their horn. That's, I never hear um, the highway all the way over here. Anyway, so much in America grew organically. It's very easy to see, like, to tell yourself that some evil person set this up, but no, it just grew up, grew organically, and there were little evil acts along the way that made things shitty, but so much of it is just this hodgepodge of, of um, stuff that grew organically. And what I found very interesting is I saw a video, like, just a few days ago, of and it's in America, of people in the 90s getting used to the idea of credit cards. And it's really, it's funny because it's exactly, like their reaction to it is exactly my reaction. My reaction in, in 2016, moving to America and trying to figure it out, is the same reaction as this lady in 1993 being... Um, confronted with the concept of a credit card and what they interviewed this one lady and she's like in a burger king and all these people are using credit cards to buy a burger and she's like dude i think it she's like i think it's very sad that people have to use a credit card to buy this thing that's just a few dollars to buy a burger for just a few dollars like you don't have a few dollars you have to use a credit card and it's like, that's like, it was very validating and full circle to me because that's like a normal human thought when you haven't figured out that the whole thing is about, God, this is such a boring corner that I went down on, but there's something about it that's like super fucking core to the American experience because you have to just buy into the whole thing. Just buy into the whole thing that like, no, there's these people in these institutions that have come up with this algorithm and you just have to impress them with like weird behavior where you open one new credit card every year. So your oldest one is just getting older and you're getting more and more of the cards and you try to only use 10% of your credit um, limit, like your aggregate total credit um, amount in all your cards together and and you have to like pay it off on time and do everything right and then you get a really good credit score and then you can get another card and then you just keep getting a new card every year and it's like yeah this thing but so um what what i was gonna say fucking 10 minutes ago before i went on this boring credit card rant is that i worked at this place bastille and we were we were talking about it and it was like, I was talking about it with this guy who's like consummate career hospitality restaurant professional, like super knowledgeable. And I was compare. we were like comparing notes and I worked there and had like, it's so fucking funny, dude, because I was so scared back then. I was so scared of everything. 
And it that fear, when I remember that fear that I had then, I become so much more charitable to people in my life now who have fear about certain stuff. Um, because in a restaurant, there's stuff where you like, it, it, it's all, everything you do front of house is a sort of an act of public speaking. And there's numbers involved and you have to like speak fluently about numbers and table numbers and locations and you have to figure out the whole physical space and how it fucking maps onto a a floor plan of how you should move around and what's going where. And you're not allowed to make any mistakes. Like if you fucking deliver food to the wrong person at the wrong table, that's like a really fucking big mistake because now you have to go to the line cook who made that food and your chef and be like, yeah, you, you know that meal you just cooked? I just gave it to the wrong person. So you have to cook it again. Like, do you understand how annoying that is to a chef because cooking it it's so much harder than walking across the building and delivering it to someone like it's so much harder like imagine that you have a dinner party and you cook dinner for your friends and then when you cook this whole dinner your friends are like oh you delivered it to the wrong apartment you have to cook everything again Go back to the grocery store, get groceries again, and cook us dinner again because you delivered it to the the wrong fucking dinner table in the wrong apartment. You know? You gave it to the neighbor. And once the neighbor has touched it, you're not allowed to fucking give it to someone else, obviously. But so, I used to be terrified of running food when I worked at Bastille. I was a host, and I did not ever run a single food item. And I had so much fear around that. And so now when I'm dealing with people like Kaya and Sarah Seegers and they're terrified of opening a wine bottle, and it's like, I've done it so many times now and I don't give a fuck, but it's like somewhere in my heart, I can think back of that like fearful little person that was like abused by his wife and just smoked too much weed and had just arrived in America. And I was like feeling so small and stupid. I was a completely different person to the point where my memories from that era don't aren't really backwards compatible with the brain I have now, which is what I was talking about like you know, 20 minutes ago in the beginning of this shit. But so I was comparing notes with this guy I was hiring this week and he was talking about Bastille and he was like, yeah, that place had the slowest fucking service, but it's cool because that's the point because it's like true French shit and they're trying to go for a true like European experience. And I just had all these like things fall into place where I realized my entire experience there because I was so confused and fearful the whole time when I was in there. But I like, they loved it. The managers loved it. They loved me in there because Americans, anyone who, Americans would walk in there and they would connect with me over, uh, if they, if I had a long conversation with someone and they were, and it came up that I was Swedish, they would try, they would try to like connect with me over fucking European shit. And the managers just loved having like a fresh off the boat European in there. And as soon as, this is the real point, as soon as anyone was the littlest bit white trash, they loved my reaction because my reaction was just complete confusion. Like I literally seemed like I could speak English, but when a white trash person walks in, <laughs> I I would just have to stop everything and be like, I'm sorry, I don't know what that is. 
And they just loved it because that's pretentious Americans love pretending like they don't know what white trash shit is, even though they fucking do, you know? So they love hiring a European who actually doesn't know what it is. And I'm. it would now be helpful if I could come up with an example, but I'm going to give you an example from like two days ago because this happened, this stuff happens to me still. And it's like exactly like what they loved at Bastille. So two days ago, someone sits down on the patio. There's only one server. The server is busy with a bunch of table indoors. So I just wander out on the patio with a tiny piece of paper and I'm like, just going to shoot the shit with these two people out here on the patio for a little bit. Ask them if I can get them a drink. You know, the server will be over. But, you know, if you know, if you have questions, you can ask me if... If you want to order, I can put your order in and your server will take over after that. But, like, I just want you to feel taken care, of, take, taken care of, you know? So I go out there and I'm talking to them. And they are not people that ever come into Holbrook. They come in for a charity event that we do called Empty Bowl, um, which is, I mean, do I need to unpack the whole thing? It's a thing where you, you donate a, an amount of money to a... Um, homelessness shelter and the homelessness homelessness shelter gives you a ticket to a restaurant so you get a free meal at a restaurant in return for your donation and we don't charge anyone for the meal we just donate the food so all these people come in and we just um give them free food like oh, that's now it sounds like homeless people come in and we give them free food no uh, actual diners come in and sit down and they have a dinner and we pay for their dinner because they give money to the charity so these people that I'm talking to here, they this is this is coming off weird here because I'm calling them white trash, but they're also clearly very charitable. Um, and also I don't like to call anyone white trash, but I'm gonna, you know, because I keep it a brick, you know, I keep it 100. But so these people are sitting out there, and I go out, and they're like, "Yeah, we haven't been here since a year ago when we did Empty Bowl last." And I was like, okay, don't love that because you're supposed to come in for Empty Bowl and then you're supposed to come in at other points during the year, you know? Like I'm trying to run a business here. You need to come in more than more than the one time when we donate food. Anyway, don't say that out loud because that's the quiet part and we, sh we mustn't say the quiet part out loud except on the pod. So... Um, the fella, he looks at me and he's like, yeah, you were, you were, I saw you here last year when we did Empty Bowl. And then he goes, yeah, they, she had a, she had a really annoying way of ordering wine, of, of being like, I want a glass of Chardonnay, but like wanted me to describe it. But when, then when I describe it, she's like, ah, what are you talking about? Like I was using all the wrong words. Like she wanted a different description than what I had. And then the guy is like, I'll just have a Jack and Roses. And I look at him and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, what did you say? And he goes, I'll have a Jack and Roses. And so I'm like, I'm so sorry. I don't know what that means. Or like, you mean roses like flowers? Like you want a shot of whiskey, like Jack Daniels? You want a shot of Jack Daniels with like actual flowers in it? Or do you mean... Four Roses, the whiskey, because there's a whiskey called Four Roses. So I'm like, you want Jack Daniels and Four Roses? You want two whiskeys? You want a, two whiskey shots mixed together? Or you want f actual roses or you want something else? I'm sorry, I don't know what that means. And he's like, 
I want f- Jack and Roses. Give me roses. And I'm like, you mean, you mean fl- like you mean flowers? Like flower petals? Like roses? Like the flower? And he's like, no, dude, I want roses. And here's uh, the thing. So I now know that roses is a sour mix. Is that the word? Uh, let me Google it. Roses mix. Uh, it doesn't even really come up properly. Sour mix. Oh, yeah. Roses. One liter. It's a sweet and sour mix. So it's like a thing that you can buy for your own house. And it's like a citrusy lemon and syrup kind of deal. And it's a brand. And the brand is Roses. And so I find this super fascinating. Okay, but so just to first wrap up what I was saying, it's like, that's an example of someone just wanting something trashy that they have that everyone in his context knows about. And then I'm just too fancy to know. Like it comes off as me being too fancy to know about it, but really I'm just a different type of white trash, you know? Like I'm just far away white trash. I'm just not from here white trash i just hide my white trash by being like from far away you know but really i'm the whitenest trash you know like you know how british people like everyone is like oh british accent oh you know he he's a four but he's got a british accent smash or pass smash he's a he's really ugly but he's got a british accent smash you know he's like incredibly rude to you and ugly but he has a british accent smash like americans love british accents but then anyone who truly gets to know a british person realizes that what they thought of as white trash there's actually fucking a basement level of trash below american white trash and that's british white trash they're way fucking trashier they just eat fucking soupy beans and like the whitenest white toast and, you know, horrible, flavorless food. And they're just real troglodytes. And then here's the thing, you know. You don't know about these things because they're just such small populations so far away. But Swedes are like the basement level below the Brits, you know. Like we're so trashed out. You know, like we're the true fucking trash gremlins. Like, Swedish people are so white trash. And so, yeah. Okay, so that's just something I had to throw in there to make it okay that I'm calling this fellow white trash. But so, um, the point is that that's exactly the kind of interaction where someone comes in and tries to order a drink and they're just ordering some, some fucking nonsense. And it's always like fucking brand names. Like, it's always these like people who have a brand name. Like when I worked at a breakfast place, there was always some dude who'd be like, yeah, I want an omelet, but I want it made with egg beaters. And it's like, dude, what in the hell is even that? What the hell is egg beaters? Like egg beaters is a, egg beaters is not a thing, dude. Egg beaters, I'm Googling it. Egg beaters. Like what is egg beaters? Yeah, exactly. Egg beaters is a brand name. And you can't walk around, you can't walk around and just have the shallowness of knowledge around something where you've never really 
looked be, looked outside of the square of the packaging, which is the brand name. Like you have to look out. There's a square on the packaging that is the brand name and the logo. Look outside of that for whatever the descriptors are. So on egg beaters, it's um, what in the hell? Yeah, I mean it's not it's not easy to describe what it is. Egg beaters is like an egg substitute made from eggs, but they're cholesterol free. I mean, yeah, that's the thing, man. That's the thing about brands in America. They don't like to be descriptive. They like to not be descriptive and to have the description be the brand name. You know, I always come back to Coca-Cola. You, on, It says Coca-Cola on the bottle. Below that, it doesn't say, oh, yeah, here's a beverage that's like kind of a mix of like star anise and cloves and cinnamon and licorice root and sassaparilla and then a lot of sugar uh, in carbonated water. Like it doesn't say that because that would make it so that you could think of it as fungible, you know? You could think of it as replaceable with something else that's... Instead, they want it... It's they want They want everything to be a mononym, like Madonna. They want Coca-Cola to just be Coca-Cola. They want Pop-Tarts to just be Pop-Tarts. They don't want it to be like, yeah, so this is kind of like a bready, really thin folded over thing with like jam smushed in there. And then we seal the whole thing with frosting. And frosting is really just caked up, dried up sugar. Yeah, anyway, so the thing about the Bastille thing was like, that that's the exact kind of shit where like, I would have an interaction like that with someone and the managers would just be observing me from across the room and just thriving. They would just be gleeful, gleeful that someone who came in to order something shitty would just be presented with like a completely blank stare from me where I'm like, I'm so sorry, I don't know what that is. Because they wish that they could say that, but they can't. Ultimately, you can't. Ultimately, as an American, you cannot deny your past. Like, doesn't matter how fancy you are, you know what egg beaters are, and you know what roses is, and you know what Pop-Tarts are, and you, like, twist, twistlers, and twists, and red twists, and red vines, and, like, there are all these words that are, like, words for stuff that's really pop-rocky, and, and, like, just this indescribable stuff that there's no words for except the brand and that everyone is so embarrassed to even know what it is once you reach a certain age. Like once you try to become, once you try to respect yourself, once you grow a healthy sense of self-respect, you you want it to be true that you don't know what those things are, you know? But you do. Everyone want to be able... It, Anyone who's like 35 and really respects themselves in America, they want to be able to say, I've never had a Big Mac. But it's not true for any of them. (laughs) It's not true. It's not true for any of them. They've all had Big Macs. They all know what Egg Beaters is. And, you know, I go to all these fancy people and I'm like, what the fuck is Roses? And they're like, yeah, 
look, what I want to talk about is like that there's this Asian root that we found that has a color and you can freeze it in a in a one-inch cube, which is like this beautiful sort of in-between of a king cube and small rocks. And you freeze it and it's like, and it's a blue, but then it turns into a gray or a purple when it melts. So it's like you put a red drink with these purple cubes and the colors change and you do these like gentle fucking bergamot flavors. You do your own bergamot bitters in an old fashioned, like this is what I want to talk about. I'm a fancy American, but really, if you ask me about roses, I also, I'm embarrassed to admit that I do know what fucking roses sour mix is because everyone grew up white trash. It's America. Everyone grew up white trash. We, we peak, you know, when we're 35, we have money and we tried to deny our past, but we were born white trash. And here's the thing. Most of us will die white trash, you know, because in America, you burn out, you burn out. Ain't no social security after 2032, you know? So, um, anyway, what I recommend to people, what I was saying 10 minutes ago is I recommend, if you're 28 years old and you're an American, I recommend just move to France and just spend... Yeah, it's such a funny thing to recommend. It's like, I was going to say spend 10 years in France and just become um, become accepted into society and just feel what that journey feels like because it's so interesting. But it's kind of like recommending a book. It's like, ugh, what a big fucking thing you're recommending. Can you recommend like a song maybe? You know, something that takes three and a half minutes to enjoy, and then you can decide after three and a half minutes if you liked it or not. Like, when someone gives you a book, it's like, oh, God, I have to read an entire book now? Or like, when you talk about something and, and someone is like, oh, yeah, I read this book about that. You should read this book. And it's like, oh, dude, I'm just trying to have a conversation here, like... I'm just trying to have a conversation. I'm just trying to express my opinion and th opinion and thoughts on something and then see what your opinions and thoughts are and then we can just move on and never think about it again. I'm not asking you to recommend a book to me that I'm going to have to spend 10 hours reading to like wrap up this fucking tiny micro interaction we're having here. Like I don't want homework. I'm not I'm not shopping around for homework here, buddy. And that's kind of what I'm saying here when I'm recommending, hey, if you're when you when you turn 28, move to France for 10 years. It's like, well, Joachim, maybe that's kind of like an asshole recommendation. <laughs> it's such an asshole recommendation because it's like because when you recommend something to someone and they say, yeah. I'm not going to read that book that you're recommending to me. Then they feel like an asshole and you've like the whole interaction sucks, you know, like it's, or, and it, it never goes that way. It's always like you recommend a book and then, or someone recommends a book to you and then you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to pretend like you're going to read it. <laughs> Everyone always pretends like they're going to read it. <laughs> it's so funny to me. Like, it's this thing that it's, like, so painful to be honest about and so pain-free to lie about that you, it's, everyone, everyone opts for lying. Everyone, it's like, oh, yeah, you're recommending the book Blue Zones to me about, you're like, 
you're like talking about it if you, how many vegetables you should eat and the other person is like oh yeah you should read the book blue zones about fucking some little fucking island in japan and you know fucking this italian fucking peninsula bullshit and and all these old people that are centenarians and what the fucking eat and it's like just read this entire book it becomes such a like incredible doorstop it, it's like the whole conversation just comes to a screeching halt because you can't you cannot proceed very well beyond that you have to just change the topic i wish i mean really what we want is we want to live in the future where someone is like ah oh, i eat broccoli like every other day and i try to eat baby carrots sometimes when i watch tv but i'm wondering if i eat enough vegetables and then your friend is like oh yeah you should read the book blue zones and then that what you really want to respond is okay let me just upload it to my little brain chip right now okay yeah so i just read it and um yeah i disagree i don't think that that book made any good points and then the then the a conversation can like proceed in a normal way after that yeah so anyway don't come at me if you don't if you're not going to follow my advice of moving to france and living there for t 10 years and becoming accepted into society but really what i'm okay hey 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 joachim hey hey what you should do instead of recommending that to someone is you should just talk about what it feels like and then they can listen to that and make up their own mind based on listening to that and then they don't have to move to France for 10 years. They can instead just hear you talk about it for five minutes and, and then be done with it and never think about it again. So that's what we're going to do instead. Let me think. It's about how weird it feels to be pretty darn adult and to be forced into a really helpless state where they're where like you're just tossed into a context yeah i don't know it's very hard to describe but but there was a thing about it where like i remember arriving in america and walking around and like just having this very very clear sense of disorientation where i know that i'm disoriented and I know that I'm walking down the street and I don't, I walk into stores. I don't know how to, like, I don't know where to acquire. Everything is like sorted in different, sorted into stores differently in each country. Like you want to buy a hammer. You want to buy a pink, you want to buy painkillers. You, you want to buy candy. Everything's like sorted into different things. Where like in Sweden, we have candy stores all over the place and pastry shops and then you have grocery stores that have a much more limited thing and then you have pharmacies that literally only have prescription drugs and like and then you have a fucking shoe store and then some of the more retaily shit is maybe more the same but there's so much stuff here that's like dude what the fuck is a head shop dude what in the fucking hell is a head shop? What what even kind of a... Like, these names are not very descriptive. There's a head shop. There's a smoke shop. There's a drugstore. There's a fucking juice bar. Like, what in the hell is a juice bar? 
like so disorienting and then always realizing that whatever I was looking for, I had this sense of like, am I even looking for the right thing? Like, I don't know where to find the thing I'm looking for, but I also have the sense that I'm not even looking for the right thing. Like, I remember in the beginning, so much of my time was consumed with trying to find an ATM. But I've then realized that, like, you're not, you don't want to find an ATM, dude. Like, there's no reason to find an ATM. You don't want to, you don't ever want to go to an ATM, really. Like, all this stuff I thought I wanted to find, like a store that can jailbreak my iPhone and like and like a fella sitting on the side of the street that can change out the cables inside of my laptop so that the screen is working again cuz the screen is flickering like all these things I think I'm looking for they're not actually what I should be looking for and it took me a while to realize that you know you think you're looking for a fella who's going to sell you like a like a moped, a gasoline moped with no license plate on it. But really, you should just become an Amazon Prime member. Because here's the thing, like, it took me like a year and a half or something, but a year and a half in, I just realized that I have to stop looking for stuff. And instead, I have to just be here and just walk around and see what there is. Because it's not really, like, you have to stop looking for hand-pulled noodles. They literally don't, like, noodles where, <laughs> where someone is just pulling the dough over and over and over until it's so thin that it's a noodle. That doesn't exist anywhere in this country, but other stuff exists here. So just, like, walk around, you know? Just chill the fuck out. Just do what everyone else is doing. Just walk down the street... And when people turn into a business, turn into that business and just relax and just look around, just ha just keep an open mind and just now you're in a business, you followed someone in there and now you're going to grab a cup and you're going to say, hmm, frozen yogurt, that sounds good. And then you're going to go up to this vast machine, big as a house, and you're going to yank on this handle and you're going to hold your cup under the under the handle and you're going to get white poop into your cup and then you're going to go over to this other place where there's a tiny little spoon in a very big jar and you're going to scoop from the jar and you're going to put on your white poop you're going to put something called jelly beans and you're going to be like "Ooh, are we having frozen yogurt again and then you're going to eat it and it's like bro that's what we have you know we don't have a lady selling avocados on the sidewalk or whatever, you know, the avocado lady. You know, in Shanghai, there's like one lady who's like famous for being the only lady who has avocados because it's not really a thing in Chinese cooking, but there's enough foreigners that one lady has avocados. And I'm in this like weird Facebook group for people who lived in Shanghai in 2006. And sometimes they post a picture of her and they're like, avocado lady, still ripping. And it's been like 20 years. And this one time I did a, this one time I thought I wanted to be like a journalist, so stupid, and a reporter, but like a life, uh, what do we call it? I don't know, like uh, human interest stories is a word. Is a <laughs> I love it, dude. Human interest story is a fucking word that Maddie taught me. 
It's like, what in the hell is a human interest story? But anyway, so apparently I wanted to be a human interest reporter about what interests the humans. And you know what interests them? Nutrition. So my only story ever was that I, for that magazine, for the Shanghai Weekend Star, was that I was like, hey, I'm going to go on a fruit fast. You know, this is 2005. It's a little bit before fruit fasts was a thing in my community. So I, <laughs> so I was like, I'm only going to eat fruit for a fucking week. And so I'm eating fruit. Now, you know what you realize when you're just eating fruit? Fruit does not fill you up. And I need like 5,000 calories. And I need a lot of protein. And so I was eating bananas. Bananas are pretty good. Really what I needed was fat, I think, looking back on it. I, I was eating bananas and bananas was, were making me feel pretty good. But then I just had this thing where I was like, dude, what I need is avocados. And I did not have a lot of money. And I think an avocado was about 20 kwai, which is about... Two fifty, two dollars fifty cents, and it's about twenty kroner if if you're keeping track at home. Um, and I spent so much money on avocados, dude. I spent so much, so many hard earned kwai on avocados, and I got to know the avocado lady for sure. And it was, in fact, how I discovered that there's only one uh, place in all of Shanghai where you can get avocados. It's this lady on the street who sells avocados. Anyway, yeah. What does that mean? It means that moving to America for me was this process of wanting to live my own life. But I'm in a new place. And what is it to live your own life? What do you know about a place if you're just living your own life? And really, eventually you just get to this point where you're like, I think everything will be easier if I just decide to live someone else's life. And so that's what I did. I killed a man and I took his name and I I cut his face. I cut the skin of his face off of the front of his head and I just put that on the front of his head and I bought a truck and I grew a mullet and I was like, I am living his life now. And, um, yeah, how do I feel about it? Do I feel it's really still there, man? It's still there. I'm still doing it. I'm still cosplaying someone else. And I'm, I'm really kind of fascinated with how deep can I go? It's really ultimately the question, like, how deep into this role of being really a new person that was born six years ago? Like, how much because there was nothing good about the person I was before that you know absolutely nothing to be proud of complete loser you know complete loser I've been so many people and they were all losers that's the thing man the only way to be a winner is to be the same person for a long time and that's so uninteresting and that's what I tell myself to to make it okay that I was always a loser, you know? That's my narrative that I'm justifying my own loserness with. Anyway, I think, I, I don't know that I'm done on this topic, but I think I have a review of water now. Because last week, I literally just 
freaking forgot to review the water. Oh, so embarrassing. So first one here, path. Path water? I guess I feel like this used to be, I'm, I'm getting Mandela affected here, but I feel like this used to be called path water. I have to Google that. Okay, it used to be called path water. I wasn't Mandela affected. We're fine. Path, sparkling, grapefruit, mango. Oh, they put the word sparkling. This is the phrase. This is what they wrote. You, you couldn't have someone proofread this for you? This is what they wrote. Sparkling grapefruit, mango, sparkling water. It's like, bro, bro, what are we doing here? You put the word sparkling there twice. Okay, mango grapefruit. Is that what I said? I said grapefruit, mango, whatever. Let's smell it. It's a metal bottle. It says refillable. God damn, that smells good. Oh, that's a strong grapefruit smell. Oh my God. I'm walking into this with such a negative bias. Like I want to hate on this, but I got this. The first whiff I got there of the grapefruit, come on. Okay, let's taste it. Yeah, that's absolutely wonderful. That's a 10 out of 10. It's grapefruit, it's mango. It has a light floral note that I don't really know what to do with. It's just, it has this flowery, oh my God, absolutely incredible aromatic thing going on. Be, be, actually, what I think it is, is it's like grapefruit essence. It's the, it's the zesty oils of the peel of a grapefruit that have an, an, almo, an almost floral, aromatic, absolutely. I, dude, hats off, bro. Hats off. And you put it in a metal bottle and you figured out how to make it not taste like metal at all. Dude, I've had so many cans of sparkling water where you can taste the can. Something binds with something and I, I get it. I get, the, I get the can in my mouth. I'm drinking can. But here, I don't know what you're doing, but oh my God, that's good. That is so good. It's a 10 out of 10. Sue me. That's not how you use that phrase. You know, how deep can I go deeper, you know? Anyway, I, I had a pretty eventful week or whatever, but I don't know that it's super interesting to like recount what happened or whatever. The only thought I have about it that I that I'm interested thinking about is like, it's interesting to me how when I do almost nothing, I become very sensitive to the few things that I do do, to the few human interactions that I have. And like, if I just go to work and then go home and, and like play video games or whatever for six months, and I never see anyone or do anything or leave the house, if I go to the store and have like a weird abrasive thing where a thing I say comes off weird or I go to a restaurant and the server says, I enjoy your meal and I say, you too, then I feel that like reverberates painfully within me for a long time because there is, I mean, I don't know. I'm saying because I don't actually know why, but it feels like it's because I have only a few social interactions, so the ones I have become, there's a hyper, there's an exaggerated focus on the ones I have. And then sometimes I just get on a roll where I have so many social interactions of so many different veracities and volumes and gravities 
that I end up just making every phone call and just getting into wrapped up into more stuff. And I'm in a little bit of a role like that right now where I'm like, I mean, there was this one time where a few months ago, I don't know, it feels, I don't know if I want to talk about this on the podcast, but there was a one time a few months ago when I felt like my AA program was not good because a big part of the AA program is to stay connected to a community of something and to be acts of service is the 12th step. It's the it's the last step of the 12-step program is to do something for someone else because, and I've said this many times on the program, on the program, I've said this many times on the pod, but it's like the one thing that kind of works in a very long-term way that can make you feel good in a way that can make you keep you sober. The only truly good substitute for drugs and alcohol in the long run, there's lots of things that can work in the short to medium term, but in the long term solution, the only thing that works is being of service to fellow man. Being doing good things for others is the only thing. And I'm not doing shit for anyone right now. So this one time late at night, I was just feeling so horrible and meaningless that I just sent out a bunch of emails to um, different fucking organizations. And I was like, hey, could I volunteer? Which is so funny because I'm such a nihilist and such a horrible person. And then one of them reached out to me and, and I, I've i had some meetings with them. And, and so I sit down with them on Wednesday and they're like, hey, could you do a cooking class for these kids here? And I'm like, yes. I just say yes to life. I just, I'm in this, I'm on a roll where I'm just, in so many social situations, like there's so much to be fearful of here that I could be fearful. Like it's a cooking class and they want me to, and I realized that there's actually like, um, there's seven adults in the room with like a bunch of kids, but you need seven adults in there because you need a lot of one-on-one time. But of the seven adults, they want me to lead the thing, which is like so boggles the mind. Like why? What do I, and also like, hey, you don't know anything about me. <laughs> we we just, one lady talked to me for like 35 minutes one time, and then we've been emailing a bit, and then I sat down with this lady, and yeah, I don't know. So it felt, but, but also it's like, hey, my job is a certain job of like doing food stuff, and I work in a restaurant and I just talk to people about food all day and I talk to these people about food. I mean, I don't know. I think if I'm just not being like self-effacing and rude about myself, I think maybe it makes sense because it's kids, you know, like anyone can talk to kids. No, that's not it either. Like, I'm ha- why am I having such a hard time? Like just describing reality here. Yeah, I don't know. There's something where like, <clears throat> Six years ago, I when I just moved to America, I got a job at Bastille and I was a host, meaning that people walk in. I got these clear instructions where it's like, people walk in, you greet them, you you check if they have a reservation, you seat them, and that it's like there's a gamification to it where it's like, okay, so there's four servers. Everyone has to get a similar number of guests and you can't, seat one server over and over and over quickly 
it has to be spaced out a little bit so that they all have time to talk to each table. And like, you're going to seat people. If they walk in and they don't have a reservation, we're going to see if we can make space for them. You know, this is the game. And it was very limited and it was very small and I was trying to figure it out. And then there was so much fear in my heart and they gave me these um, tasks of like, hey, so here's a phone. If you press this button, you check the voicemail and then you write down what the voicemail messages say and then you call them back and you answer their questions and most of the time they want to buy a gift card. And then you call them back and you get their credit card information over the phone. Just They just give you their credit card information that can be used for anything they just give it to you over the phone because you are a representative of this business, even though you're just some Swede who's kind of obsessed with credit cards and obsessed with how like weirdly low security they are and how you don't want to use them. But you just have to just go live someone else's life. Go live the life of a man who's not afraid of using your credit card. And once I really believed that, I never looked back. Once I really believed, hey, let's live the life of someone who, let's live the entire life of the American person. Once I really believed that, I, I kind of didn't look back. But so um, they would give me this task, like check the voicemail. They just want to buy a gift card. So you call them back and you ask for their credit card information. And look, here's the thing. There was no security around any of that. I, my job was to, I worked there for like six months, right? Every day people call and want to buy a gift card because it was like a nice big restaurant and it was like a gift. It's a, the kind of thing where you give a gift card. And so we would mail them out. So every day I'm, I'm picking up the phone, listening to the voicemail. There's four gift cards that people want to sell. So I call them back. They give me their credit card information. I write it down on a piece of paper. The full credit card number, the name, the zip code, the expiration date, the security code. And then I ask for an address where they want the gift card sent to and how big, how, how the amount, you know, the value of the gift card. And then when it's all done, I go over to this computer and I like process a payment, right? And I buy a gift card for the person that they want to gift a gift card to. And then I like put it in an envelope and, and put a stamp on there and write the address. And then I walk two blocks to a mailbox and I mail it out. And so what I end up with at the end of the shift is like four pieces of paper with people's credit card information on it. And that's every day. Every day I just end up with four pieces of paper in my back pocket. No one ever told me, hey, by the way, here's a shredder, you know? <laughs> here's an incinerator. Actually, there was an incinerator. It was like... My job was to host, and then they were like, oh, okay. And also, by the way, at the other end of the building, there's this fire pit where, like, you twist this metal knob here, and then you take this uh, long lighter, and you stick it towards this nozzle here, and then you you twist the, the knob. But don't twist it too much, because it will create an enormous fireball, and you will you will burn yourself horribly. But... Get the gas flowing and light it and get it to be... It's basically a round fireplace that, that could seat like 20 people sitting around this beautiful designed round fireplace. And it was so random for the host to do that job because I did nothing else in the restaurant, sort of. Like, 
I did no like side work. I didn't do fucking roll-ups. I didn't do shit like that. I just did like hosting and organizing and sending people around. And I realized later, it was later uh, revealed to me that that was my job because everyone else refused to light the fireplace because so many people had gotten hurt. <laughs> so many people had lost their eyebrows at this fireplace that it would be this thing where like the new hire is just told, okay, yeah, so they, because y- y- you know, if someone prints you a piece of paper, which is your side work checklist, and it's just on your checklist, you're like, okay, I guess that's what I'm doing. And then you just accept it at face value. And so I accepted it and I would light this fireplace. And everyone was like, do not tell the new guy how many people have been hurt. How many people have lost their eyebrows trying to light this fireplace. Because it was like this, it was like this long metal key that you stick into a hole. And at the bottom of that hole, the key connects to this um this screwy thing that you screw open and close to open and close the gas, but it's not binary. It's not on or off. It's more like it's at zero or a hundred and you want to screw it until it's like at 35. Don't accidentally screw it till it's at 50. And really you have no control. So you might end up uh, getting it to like a hundred percent open. And then, yeah. And then it's a fiery inferno. Can I just mention one more time? Pathwater sparkling grapefruit mango sparkling water is absolutely delicious that is such a good sip of water so anyway i i lit the fireplace and no one ever said hey at the end of your shift those credit card authorizations you have in those credit card numbers you have in your pocket throw them in the fire pit that you lit no one ever said that so i walked home and every day i just like I, I think I had like a big notebook and I just threw them in the same notebook. And then at the end of it, I'm looking at them and I'm like, dude, like this is like the credit card numbers of 400 rich people. And when I was feeling poor, I, my mind really thought about it and was like, can I do this in some way? But really that's an insane thought because like, I don't know, they were just they were just lucky that I was married to a rich lady. Like most random thing ever is that I wasn't destitute. I was just married to a rich lady and she had infinite money and and it uh, by proxy, I just had infinite money. And so I never had to resort to anything. Also, it's not, yeah, I just felt like, well, honestly, if you, if we're going to have an, an actual conversation about crime, I think you can probably, um, defraud one of those credit card numbers and purchase something and or sell the number to someone but i think and this is kind of interesting to me but i think if you like were to if you were to do it 25 times even if you do it perfectly even if you sell 25 of those numbers to a russian guy who does purchases things in russia sends it to russia it has no connection to you i think for, to the credit card company, it's still obvious that the thing that these 25 defrauded numbers have in common is that they were all used by this one French bistro in Seattle. So like triangulating it back to, hey, who's fucking processing these payments at this French bistro? I was always so sure that I was going to get caught, so I never did anything with those credit card numbers. But... It was a fascinating lesson in like American fucking lack of security because in Sweden, it's like everything is a card plus pin. 
Like, you can't do anything with a card in Sweden. You go to the store. Sweden is a completely cashless society. 99 point, it's something in the range of 99.7% of all transactions that happen in Sweden are non-cash. They are some sort of mobile app or card or, you know, very direct with your bank stuff. That's different from America, but but in Sweden, mostly it's like you stick a card in and then you give it a pin code and that's how you um, verify a payment. And like nowhere in Sweden is it possible to just swipe a card without using your pin. It's like, and then in America, it's like, yeah, at the gas station, you swipe your card and then it asks for your zip code. And it's like, bro, this zip code is just where we are. Like... I'm not far away from home right here. I'm just putting in the zip code of where the gas station is. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to lose your card in America, that's for sure. The weird thing is, like, somehow I've, like, made and saved up tens of thousands of dollars and I've never had a bad experience, actually. I've only had weird experiences of paranoia and being angry about how poorly set up the pro- uh, the uh, system is. Also, that weird... Um, inverted irony is that I used to have absolutely no money and be so angry about the insecurity of the financial system, <laughs> which is so funny. It's really like, who's going to steal your bus pass? You know, like those memes? Like, why is your wallet on a chain linked to your pants? Who's going to steal your bus pass? That was my whole attitude. And then the moment you like stop worrying about it is when you can start making a lot of money and somehow, I don't want to jinx it or nothing, but <clears throat> no one ever stole all my money except all that money I put into crypto. <laughs> oh God. So anyway, oh yeah, what I was going to say is like, so this week I sit down with this lady and she's like, yeah, we want you to lead this um, cooking class and it's going to for at risk youth and it's going to start with like a knife class so teach everyone how to use a knife safely and then we're going to teach them how to use a salad how to make a salad because these people these kids have never had a salad like they don't know about this basic shit that's important to just live a good life so we have to teach them that and I'm like cool 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 why do you want me to do it though? Like it's me and six other six other adults and you want me to do the talking. Like why do you want me to do the talking? But it's like he, he, he's he got a podcast though. Like, but I'm not, it's not like I told him I have a podcast, but maybe it's like, maybe my whole, <laughs> oh God, this is becoming so annoying. But like maybe my whole um, just being is sort of like, tell me you have a podcast without telling me you have a podcast. Am I just, do I just have that energy? Like, like, oh God, oh God. Anyway, so, but it, what I was going to say is I struggle to describe this part. I struggle to describe reality properly here of who I am in this context because the truth is that it's so completely opposite to the little boy I was, the little 29-year-old boy, the little six-foot-three boy I was working at Bastille, where I was so afraid of running food because running food, I knew the table numbers because I'm the host and I'm seating people, but running food means that you have to 
go to the pass. You have to grab the plate of food. You have to go to the table number. And then you have to announce what the dish is. And I was so afraid of announcing what the dish was that I never delivered a single food item while working there, which is ridiculous. And now today I'm like making everyone, including the 15-year-olds, deliver food and they have to know what it is and they have to tell the people what it is, you know? And you literally cannot deliver the food without knowing and what it is and saying what it is because you'll show up at the table and, and you'll have a gnocchi in your hand and if you don't know that it's like a fucking you know ramp top pesto gnocchi then how the hell are you going to get it to the right person are you going to just hold up the bowl in front of them and be like because you don't know the table numbers Noah does not know the table numbers you know and he can't just go up there and hold it up to them and be like what does this look like does it look like something that someone ordered <laughs> That would never work, but it's a very funny idea. It's like, because it's called auctioning off food. Like, you're not supposed to auction off food. You're not supposed to go up to the table and just announce what it is and wait for someone to say, yeah, that's what I ordered. You're supposed to know the table numbers and put it in front of the correct person. And <laughs> going up to the table and saying, I have a gnocchi is called auctioning off food and it's considered bad. But it's like... The next level bad is to not even know what it's called and to just walk up to the table with a bowl and just show it to the four people at the table and be like, I'm not sure what this is, but does it look like something that any of y'all ordered? <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny to me because it's so bad. <laughs> that's so, I don't know. That's probably not funny to anyone else, but it's funny to me. So what I'm saying is, six years ago, I was like this little six foot three, 28 year old boy who never delivered a single food item. And now I'm this person that with this lady just quite naturally just wants me to lead a group of six other adults to teach a room full of at-risk youth how to cook a salad and talk about food. And it's an hour and a half of like, <clears throat> it's an Italian salad. We're going to talk about dressings. We're going to talk about what is a fucking vinaigrette. We're going to show them a map of Italy. We're just going to talk to them about stuff, about Italian culture. What is it to eat? Like, what is it to eat real food? And we're going to talk about this for an hour and a half. And the reason I have a problem with describing the reality of that, describing it in a way where I'm not like self-effacing or self-aggrandizing. The problem, the reason I'm struggling to really nail down, because really what I should just say, really the most normal way to talk about it would be to just talk about it with confidence. Like just be a grown-up and say, I'm doing this thing and just say that with confidence and don't leave room for anyone to be like, why are you doing that thing? You don't know how to do that thing. But the thing is that of those two very separate people, the person who's going to teach these kids how to cook a salad and talk to them about Italy for 90 minutes, and the guy who was too afraid to run a single dish at Bastille, the truth is that I am still more of the little six foot three, 28 year old boy who was a host at Bastille. I'm still more of that person than I am of this other person. I am really just cosplaying as this second person here. Like it is an act of pretending. Yeah, I don't know. 
I don't know what to say about that. It's, it's, that's the truth, you know? It's so interesting. It's like, I, I, you know that phrase like fake it until you make it. It's, it's interesting because it's like, for a lot of people, I think we never really stop faking. Fake it until, and then there's no next part of the phrase. Just fake it, you know? Fake it until you get to the next part and then just keep faking it, you know? And yeah, eventually become really good at faking it. And that's all there is to any of it, you know? Anyway, so I had this meeting with the with this lady about this fucking class we were going to do. And then like quite right afterwards, like I there was like an hour in between these two things. I was invited by, it's like, this is very hard to explain, but there's my landlady came in once and the lady who owns the property I live on, she came into Holbrook once and just had a cocktail with a friend in the lobby and I just sat with them for a while because I'd run into her at a movie theater when we watched that new fucking Asteroid City Wes Anderson bullshit. And it turned out that she's a huge Wes Anderson head. And I said like some mean things about that movie. And she was so incredibly like, I don't know, not offended, but like she found it. She had, (laughs) she acted like she had never met anyone who just thought Wes Anderson was a little bit full of shit. And I like Wes Anderson. I talked about Wes Anderson in the last episode of the podcast for a bunch of how I was talking about how every fucking frame is a painting, you know? And that's true. And the writing is incredible. Like the French Dispatch, every fucking sentence is beautiful. And then they're delivered in these whispers. The acting is wonderful. Like these are masterpieces, these movies. But I sometimes I get a little bit fed up and I'm like, ah, he has such a fucking style. His style is that all of his movies are amazing and it makes me mad. And I shit on it a little bit because I'm jealous. So she was so confused by my take on Wes Anderson that she texted me a bunch about it. And then, <clears throat> anyway. Um, oh, God. I don't know, man. I don't know how to describe this. But but somehow she was hanging out with a friend in the lobby of Holbrook. And it's two hippie ladies that are maybe in their late 40s. So, so rude to be wrong about someone's age. Women especially. So, uh, anyway. I just looked at them and they're they're like kind of like ex-hippies or something. Like where they're... You can tell that they used to be really hippy-dippied out, and now they have re-entered society a little bit and just calmed down a little bit. So for some reason, apparently, I looked at them and I said, what do you guys think about AI? Are you, like, worried about AI? Which is, like, the most crypto bro, Joe Rogan listener, bullshit fucking embarrassing thing to say. Like, it's so embarrassing. That, in fact, I actually blocked it out afterwards. Like, I asked that, and then we apparently talked about AI for a few minutes. And then I sort of wandered off and went back to doing my job. But that's so embarrassing that I actually did not remember that it happened. And then weeks later, Fiona, who works at the front desk, is like, Dude, my aunt keeps telling me about you, and you talk to her about AI in the lobby. And I literally tell Fiona, hey, 
that's not true. That wasn't me. I don't, that didn't happen because I didn't remember it at all. And then it turns out much later that (laughs) this is so ridiculous. It's so funny. It's so funny to me. It's, I really want to say this in a way where I don't make myself important, but apparently the fact that we had that conversation sparked something within my landlady's friend. And she spent weeks just sort of like talking to different AIs. (laughs) And then she texted me. She found my number. Or no, my landlady texted me and was like, hey, she wants your number. And so we're texting and she texts me and she's like, I want to start a 1940s style salon. Like how French philosophers in the 40s would just sit in smoke-filled rooms and talk philosophy all day and call it a salon. She wants to start, start one of those. And I'm invited, and each time we're going to have a theme, a topic, and the first one is, the first topic is AI. And it's like, okay. And and then, like, I show up there. And so, it's this thing, again, where it's like, if I had been doing very few things, in a part of, in during a period of my life where I do very few things... And I'm like <clears throat> a sad little host boy at Bastille. If I'm going to do one social thing, I need like two weeks before and after to just recover. First, prepare for two weeks and then recover for two weeks. If I'm going to go talk to the lady about the, um, the cooking class that I'm going to do or whatever for the at-risk youth. But, but if I'm just doing lots of stuff all the time, my brain enters this other state where nothing fucking matters or something. Where you can just rapid fire Gatling gun fucking load them up with weird experiences. So I do the the cooking class meeting and then right afterwards I just go straight into it in this salon about AI and I just sit with five people in a tiny tiny little home. I just drive out in the middle of nowhere. Like dirt road, no reception. I love how around here you get directions from people. And it's shit like, you know, look for the sign, look for the big sign that says, no, look for the blue sign that says big love, you know? And then you're going to see a steep downhill right turn, turn down, like shit like that, dude, shit like that. You, you realize that in the rest of the world, it's just Google Maps. It's just Google Maps all the way down. But out here, it's like, people are like, yeah. So you're going to want to get on Big Hill Road, you know? And yeah, so I drive out there. It's an incredibly beautiful sunset as I'm driving. And it was just cool, man. I was just talking to these people and they were so nice. And they were like kind of talking over each other. But then sometimes I would try to say something and they would all be like, no, no, let's listen to what he has to say. And they would like listen to me. And it just like, oh. Like, and I feel so undeserving. Honestly, honest, I mean, I I sound self-congratulatory about so many things here, and I sound so fucking conceited, and I sound like a complete asshole with all of this stuff that I'm talking about here, but the truth is that the big feeling in my heart throughout all of this is that I'm undeserving, really. And that's probably... 
unnecessary because we're all just people. Yeah, that's now we're getting to it. We're all just people and we all just get what we get and we all just fucking tumble around and we do some stuff and we talk and we listen and we talk and we listen and we do stuff and we do stuff and we don't do stuff and we don't do stuff for years and then we do stuff and none of it matters and none of it, no one deserves any more or less than anyone else. But I have this feeling in my heart like I deserve less. And that's what I'm saying here. That's why it's so strange for me that people ask, that people invite me to stuff or that someone wants me to do a cooking class. It's like, I am so deeply undeserving. It's not that I believe that I don't know how to do stuff because I actually believe in my own skills. Like I believe in my own abilities to do stuff, to do basic stuff, to like stand in a room and just explain to a group of teenagers how to use a knife, you know? I'm, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to Google, I'm going to YouTube it. I'm going to YouTube knife class and I'm going to watch a five minute knife class and I'm going to watch it twice. And then I'm going to just recreate that. And look, that's an ability. I can probably kind of perfectly recreate a YouTube video with people and I can kind of maintain their attention. I believe myself to have the ability to be able to, like, I actually think I can do that almost better than. Like I'm top one percent. If you if you're talking about, like I'm probably gonna have these kids love me now that I'm now I'm jinxing it. But also I don't believe in jinxings. I don't believe in the jinxings, bro. Never got COVID. Saying that out loud. Never gonna get it. No jinxings. There's no jinxing. There's just get a good night's sleep. Have a vegetable juice. Don't get COVID. Get fucking vaccinated, bro. Don't get COVID. You know. Go into the room, impress all the seventh graders with how how cool you are. <laughs> it's not that I believe, oh God, it's weird. It's a weird mix because it's not that I believe that I don't have the ability to do it. It's more that I believe that I'm undeserving, which somehow is two separate things. I don't deserve to be given opportunities or to be happy or to, you know, be treated well. I don't deserve to be treated well. It's so fucking weird to really believe that you're really good at stuff, but to also be completely convinced that you don't deserve to be treated well. Like, how did we come up with this permutation? Like, how did those things go? together but that's that's what it is you know i don't know okay um let's drink another water i have another path water here the other the next one here is sparkling raspberry orange sparkling water yeah i see what you did there path water i mean if you're trying to get my attention as johnny sparkling water over here then you know you got that let's smell it oh Dude, it's so cool. The first whiff, because the little bit of air sitting at the top of the bottle has been sitting at the, like just between the cork and the water level. It's been sitting and it's got such a fullness of smell particles that that first whiff is incredible. And the first whiff of the first one had so much essential oil grapefruit going for it. And this one, raspberry. Oh, it that is such a authentic raspberry experience. Like that is such it's not even the juice. 
It's like realer than the juice. It's like the texture of the flesh. It smells like the flesh of, of raspberry. Like it smells like the give of biting into a perfectly firm but not underripe raspberry. Like it smells like, well, it smells like the color red is what it smells like. Let's taste it. Yeah. Okay. Hey. Hey, I respect you. I respect what you do. You figured out that raspberry and orange go together? I didn't know that. I didn't know that at all. I had no idea. Raspberry orange. Oh. Today we had a wedding at work. And um, it was a lesbian wedding. And one of the cocktails was called a lipstick lesbian. And it was a, a vodka soda strawberry syrup. That was the signature cocktail. One of the two signature cocktails. The other one was called Madam and Eve. <laughs> you guys get it? Oh, you guys get it or what? Yeah, Madam and Eve, they're lesbians. Ha ha, we get it. And the other one is called Lipstick Lesbian. And I kept trying to be like, do not say Gold Star Lesbian. Do not say, do not accidentally say Gold Star Lesbian. That It's a lot of moving around. And so I'm covering for the bartenders here and there. And at one point... This fella just walks, rolls up on me and he's like, I want something strong. And I have very few tools because we're moving the bar and almost all of my mixers and everything is gone. So all I have is gray goose, a glass carafe of orange juice, and a strawberry raspberry syrup. And so I do... I take a rocks glass, I hit it with some ice. I do a double a double shot of Grey Goose because he says he wants something strong. So he's getting four ounces of vodka with a little bit of mixer. And I hit him with um, strawberry raspberry syrup and then some orange juice. And so I'm giving this fella this drink, a drink I've never tried. I have very little... I just want to give him something. It's kind of late in the game. He's probably kind of already wasted. He'll probably drink whatever. He seems like a nice guy who isn't going to complain whatever I do. And I give him this drink that's like a beautiful layered sort of orange to red. So I'm worried that it's looking too much like a bitch drink, you know? But he's at a lesbian wedding, so maybe get over yourself, fella. It's maybe not the place where you're like, what do I look like a woman? <laughs> where you go and you're like, what, I look like a woman? What, I look like a girly man? <laughs> Dude. Dude. Okay. That actually makes me think of a different thing that I thought of, that I was like, maybe I should talk about this. So, I and this is, again, it's like, I don't know what I'm doing here, uh, but... This is something that bothers me, and it's somewhere deep in my psychology. And it took me one hour and 40 minutes to figure the last one out, that I'm like deeply confident in my ability, but I morally feel completely undeserving. It took me an hour and 40 minutes to figure that one out. So let's see what we can do with this one. Here's the thing. I'm almost always only friends with women. I'm, th- I'm about to turn 37, but it was also true when I was 17. It was true when I was like 14. So I remember vividly this time. Okay, so let's start with present day. This week, a few days ago, a bunch of my coworkers, they're all women, go 
hang out and they all invited each other and they're all friends and it's like nine of them and they take these group photos that they put on social media and I'm looking at these group photos of like nine of, look, honestly, at this point, these are like nine of my closest friends. Like these are people I've shared everything with. <clears throat> Some of those people like Steph and Britt, I've told them like, just all my most sensitive, just my vulnerable, like just, I am vulnerable, like Brit, I am vulnerable with Brit because I love her and I like trust her to hear me and see me and not hurt me when I am vulnerable. So, you know, things that I find very difficult, I've talked to her about it. And like, I feel very close to these people. And so then... There is, um, I don't think I'm going to get to the bottom of this one. But so then nine of them hang out and I wasn't invited and it hurts my feelings. And then, <laughs> yeah. And then it that it's like my, it's like I'm not allowed to, my feelings, I'm not allowed to have hurt feelings, says everyone, because it's girls night. And there's something about that where it's like, I was raised on this, I was raised on so many different weird fantasies that turned out to not be true. Like the, the weird fantasy of every, that everyone in my generation was raised on of how special we all are. And then you grow up and you're not special. But like for me, one of them, one fantasy that I was really raised on is like that gender is completely fictional and meaningless and you can never put any actual weight on it. And so this thing of girls' night as an excuse to hurt my feelings and invite everyone except me, I don't know. I don't know. Thing is, they knew I was working. It was a Monday. So they didn't they, they didn't invite me because they knew I couldn't hang out. But it's also like, I want you guys to invite me so I can say that I can't be there. You know? I want you guys to I want you guys to invite me so I can Yeah. I don't know. It's fucked up. So yeah, I remember this one time when I was 14. It's just so fucking weird to have a wormhole experience where you're like you realize that there's some feeling you're experiencing that's exactly like when you were a child and you have not grown up at all. I remember being 14 and like all my friends are girls and they would sometimes hang out and not invite me and it's like girls night. And then this one time I really expressed to them that that hurt my feelings. So this one time there was literally a thing where it was like called girls night and we're all like 13 or 14 and I expressed to them that it hurts my feelings. So I, they invite me, but they literally, they invited me as a, you can be there in the beginning to help set up because we need help with this one thing. But then I just didn't leave. And then here's, and, and here's why you don't invite boys. Cause there was this one girl there that I had never met before. That was like a friend of a friend of something. And I was like into her immediately and then I kind of got her phone number, Hannah Fira. And then we dated for like a year and a half. And she was my girlfriend. And she broke my heart incredibly. She broke my heart more than anyone has ever broken my heart. And I was 16. 
han är fyra. Ja. Anyway, can't talk about that. Can't talk about that because it's 4 a.m. right now. It's 4 a.m. And, and listen, I'm trying to live a normal life. You can't be, you can't be staying up till 4 a.m. Um, yeah, I hit the two-hour mark. When I hit the two-hour mark, I turned the fridge off to get perfect audio quality, but it has a auto function. I put an auto function in there that when it hits two hours of being off, it should go back on. And so whenever the fridge goes back on, it's like, dude, this episode is over. I can't, I can't fucking do this anymore. Okay, listen, listen. I don't deserve you as a listener. That's the truth. I am undeserving of what you are giving me. Like somehow I believe, <laughs> I believe that this is an amazing podcast that I don't, but I don't deserve to have you listening to it. That is too beautiful of a gift. Like this is the best podcast in the whole world, but it does not deserve any listeners. I don't know. That's just who I am. Anyway, whatever. That's stupid. It, and then you rub up against this thing of like, yep, I figured out what it was. Doesn't help though. Doesn't help me at all that I figured it out. Saying out, saying it out loud does not take any of the power away from it. So whatever. Let's just, I just give up. It, it doesn't matter. <laughs>